0: Hey everyone, I'm Avi Klein. I'm Sam graham Felson, And you're listening to Hey Man, the advice podcast for men. Our guest this week is Jules Febre, who is one of the top instructors at Mukti Yoga Studios in New York City. He also teaches all over the world. And uh, we get into some pretty heavy stuff uh, about his, his life, uh, including his arrest for armed robbery at 17. Um... And he has a lot to say about yoga, about why men don't do yoga, and maybe why they should. And is also uh, pretty good at giving advice. So I hope you enjoy. So why don't I just give a little
1: bit of backstory to my introduction into yoga. Uh, let's see. So um, I have an aunt and uncle who are very much into yoga. They're actually... So the the method that I teach and I'm involved in is called Jivamukti Yoga. Um, and the founders of that are also my aunt and uncle. Oh. And uh, they started it in 1984 in New York. They're Westerners. Um, they studied a lot in India. Um, you know, they'd go and spend three, four months out of the year, two months out of the year since the early 80s. Um, and then my uncle, David Life, wa- was interested in seeing a little bit. When do gender differences take place in young people as they're growing up in a city, and how does that affect how they move in their body um,
0: why what what's prompted that interest do you know?
1: I think they're just they're that kind of people right okay. they're re- they're really interested in these things and and it's a little bit kind of to speak to your original question um, Is there something about being in a female body that calls you more to a practice like yoga, that's less than a, a a male body. Um, and what role does society play on imposing that structure I on see. you? Yeah. And or is there something innate? Right. Like our boys just differ and women are more um, flexible and mobile. And um, at least that's what they told me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so what did he so, find out? Um i think the, I think the results were they, inconclusive okay. <laughs> i think the 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 population size of the experiment was a little bit too small It was just me and a girl um <laughs> but yeah so your so
0: introduction to yoga was in a way like an experiment like how's jules gonna take to yoga yeah you know? i,
1: I th- yeah just to kind of see is there a natural inclination do they enjoy it yeah. do they move um so yeah, I started practicing pretty young um totally up until I was about. Twelve or thirteen. Um, I also grew up in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, um, and I hung out with a lot of older guys. So when I was thirteen, like two of my best friends, uh, one of them shot and killed himself wow. playing Russian roulette, and another friend um, got was like in a fight and was stabbed really bad, and then ended up in jail for a few years. And I said to them, I said, because I had yoga on one side and kind of hanging out on the other side, and I said what do you think if I went with you to India? And they said, great. So I went for two months to India when I was 13 to study yoga and practice yoga. You said this to your aunt and uncle. Yeah. 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 And um, they said, great, come. So I went for two months and hated it. (laughs) Disliked it strongly. Um, You know, did the vegetarian thing for two months and I just came back and I did not want to have anything to do with yoga anymore. Didn't talk to my aunt and uncle for a while. Oh. Um, fell out of love with yoga and started hanging out again pretty much like
0: the day that I was back that's uh, so can I, I'm just curious yeah, so like the way at least you're telling the story it's like a 13 year old you uh sort of saw the potential of going to India as a way to deal with the, these really upsetting events that had happened yeah yeah and I'm and, and so there was like a hope there but then it turned out to not not be what you wanted in
1: a way. Yeah, I think there was also just an expectation of some kind of exotic experience, mm-hmm. right? That was, that was new, that was different. Um, a lot. I mean, none of the people that I was growing up with were going to India, and um, I guess now I'm thirty-six, so twenty-three years ago, I'm not a hundred percent clear on what my mind state was at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I'm pretty clear that I remember to ask to yeah. go. Um, but there's also one of the things that I think um, growing up in that area, I was kind of locked into my mind is that there's a a certain level of victim mentality that is there, or at least I had it in myself. Okay. And then when I was in India and I saw a totally different level of hardship, right? When I came back, there was almost a rebelling against being exposed to how real the world is Mm. kind of like a culture shock, I guess, but it wasn't necessarily the difference. It was almost as if I couldn't kind of put the two together. Um, since there has been some reconciling. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've been back to India many times and had many other experiences. But um yeah, I think that there was originally this this feeling of, you know, I thought I had it so rough and I thought my life was like, Oh, don't you can't you see what's happening to me? And then I saw what was uh, happening to other people and I was like, Oh it's so almost it's,
0: like I'd kinda rather like go back to feeling like a victim a little or something
1: yeah i mean there's yeah. a there's a certain safety net in totally, that right because totally um, that feels like yeah. it's also easier for people to relate if you're the one going through the suffering
2: <laughs> did you try to um sort of talk about india to your friends back on the lower east side or was it just so not far interested. into their experience yeah, not yeah. interested
1: yeah, yeah i mean i thought I, also when i came back I mean, you could get clothes made in India super cheap, right? So I came back with like these super ugly like MC Hammer silk pants. Oh yeah. <laughs> I thought I was a man. I wore them to school, never again. I wore them one time and they're like, what the That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Everyone
2: has I feel like everyone has their um middle school outfit fiasco story. Yeah, uh I, I wrote thing. a novel and the first chapter is about a kid who buys this um Outfit from the mall. We grew up at the same time. I mm-hmm. I, I grew up in the city in Boston, um, okay. but the style was the same. Mm-hmm. Early early nineties hip hop style. Yeah, totally. And I bought this outfit. It was a total disaster. Is this a re- <laughs> th-
0: that story in your in your novel is based on a real life. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, for <laughs> yeah. sure. I tried
2: to find it in my parents' basement when my book came out for publicity. I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't find it. But um, no photos. No, no <laughs> documentation. No, sadly. Um, but but uh, but yeah. It's just I'm I'm just trying to um imagine it must have felt kind of lonely to have had this kind of um, really unique experience, not really have anyone interested in it. And uh, did that contribute to you being like, forget this, I want to move past this and just like come back um, to my life in the Lower East
1: Side or I, th- uh, <clears throat> uh, like, what was that transition like? Cause yeah, I, I think it wasn't so much of a transition as it was a subtle process of understanding that, uh, diversity of experience was key yeah. and that I just realized that I was giving this blessing of having a diverse experience where a lot of people didn't have that diverse experience. And even the thing that I thought of as diverse maybe wasn't as diverse as I thought it was. It mm-hmm. was just a little bit different than the norm. And it's something that still um, guides what I do now if I'm teaching diversity of experience as a tool for Understanding ourselves in relationship to others because if unless we know more about others or other situations other places the ability to learn through relationship is a little bit limited Mm -hmm. or you you know in some cases severely limited I guess.
0: Can you give me like a practical example of of what you mean so I can grab on (coughs) I can understand better.
1: Sure. Um. So I would say uh, I started an organization called Fuller Circle mm-hmm. that works with young people that are transitioning out of foster care. right? So, um, And if you look at some of the numbers for people who are coming out of foster care, it's like the men that are incarcerated, something like 70% of them at some point have been through the foster system. Um, and then they are then trapped in this cycle of... Uh, Relationship to an authority who runs the place that they live, the place that they work, and it's all very confined, literally and um, I guess socioeconomically. And one of the main points of what we wanted to do was bring them, bring this population of people on a trip. And um, so we just had a small group of seven, seven young people from 18 to 22, and we went to Martha's Vineyard. And one of the most exciting, like at the end, we had a recap. One of the most exciting experiences that everybody said was just re- really just riding the ferry, hmm. right? Like being on a boat. And how, and, and to me, that stood out because how do most people um, commute? Whether, you know, especially where I grew up, where these people are growing up, you get on the train or you get on the bus, the end. And they, We took a van to a boat and the boat wasn't, you know, I don't know if you've been on the ferry to this vineyard, but it's a substantial ride. It's like 25, 30 minute ride or something like that. Right. And they were I mean, they were taking photos. They were having so much fun. And to me, it had become commonplace. And I had forgotten that that would be a diverse experience for them. And that would really stick out. And um, you know Snapchat stories. I'm on a boat, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and so and and um and then they were able to bond because they were having that experience together, right? And and I think that's one of the things. If I think about India, it's you know I had my uncle there, but having a diverse experience with a group of like-minded people uh, who are then making sense of it together. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So
2: um, I don't want to give spoilers to our listeners. So I'll yeah. let you tell tell the story, but um I mean in a in a simple narrative it would have just been you grew up in the lower east side, you went to India when you were 12, your life changed, you became, you know, this spiritually grounded, peaceful, um, peace-loving person. But that didn't happen. So t- take us true. back into the into the chronology.
1: Yeah. Um I just I also want to preface because this is a um an advice podcast of <laughs> some sort, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and sometimes if I if I am talking to people or I'm doing an interview or in this case a podcast, sometimes the idea of giving a backstory ends up just being my story and there are these certain milestones. Yeah. I I when I'm telling these stories, I want to caution myself um, to to recognize that I'm telling a narrative and that sometimes I get locked into that story. And I love telling the story, and then I, you know, start to get all into the details. But it, when I reflect back on it, maybe the details aren't quite as I remembered them, and that I also have to remind myself, I guess, p- as part of my yoga practice, to not get too stuck in my story, right? Because mm-hmm. I think this is one of the things that kind of held me back to go back to the India thing. Like, oh no, I'm a kid from the Lower East Side. I got it rougher than these Indian kids, and then I see the Indian kids, and I'm like, oh fuck. <laughs>
0: right. And so I just, I don't know, I. That intrigues me because, I don't know, since I'm a therapist and people are often stuck in their stories. So you're sort of saying like, so just to have a little skepticism about the story you're telling. Even though your story is
2: like a very inspirational, positive story. (laughs) Even if it's a positive story,
1: even if it's a good story, even if you think you did something really nice in that story, even if you learned a lesson from it, chances are a, a good portion of it has been recreated by your own mind to suit whatever things that you enjoy. And, um, and even if it is super clear, I, I really caution myself and when I'm talking to people about being so identified with that story. Yeah. Um, my, my, one of my teachers, also my uncle David, um, he often jokes that when people introduce themselves, they're like, oh, do you remember me? I came to your class 10 years ago with a shoulder injury. I mean, people will s- equate themselves with an injury Mm-hmm. Whether it's a psychological mm. injury, whether it's an emotional injury, whether it's a physical injury, um, or with a high point. And I tried to kind of take a little bit of a view where the highs aren't really the highs and the lows aren't really the lows. And, and if we could move a little bit m- away from that structure, we might have a little
0: bit more freedom. Could That's you, a great point. Yeah. Could you just describe, you know, for me, it's like when I imagine that, I mm-hmm. think I'm very... Um, uh, in my like married to my story <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. and when i imagine it, it it feels very like destabilizing and it's like well if i don't have that what do i have yeah and i'm just sort of curious what that feels like when you're describing if if you're not totally in it i just what is that like
1: <laughs> i think i think it requires the ability to be at ease with ambiguity mm-hmm. which a lot of people are not they like things to be clear-cut this is who i am um I, I guess kind of it's it's a little bit um, I don't know a, uh, an used trope these days of of saying that um, I am I, I first half of my life I create an identity the second half of my life I defend my identity mm. and so it's like, okay so you like the color green great you're stubborn you're a Taurus also great like and and I think there is a lot of comfort there definitely like you said. Um, but I prefer a little bit more the gray spaces and I, uh, a little bit more mystery. I like, I like mystery. Uh,
2: I, my, um, meditation teacher who we've actually had on this podcast, um, I was telling him that I was really struggling with writer's block, Mm. trying to write my second novel. Mm. And, um, and we got into this conversation and I, and I was telling him, you know, I, I feel so bad. I'm an author. I should like, am I really an author if I've only written, am I really a novelist if I've only written one book? Mm. Shouldn't a novelist be somebody who wrote two or more or whatever? <laughs> right. And then he's like, why are you identifying as a novelist? Why can't you just be somebody who writes Right. Yeah. yeah in yeah. addition yeah. to doing other things? And I found that so liberating, just like, mm. I'm somebody who writes in addition to doing other things. Like, I'm not just a, uh, you know, like, I don't have to put this label mm. that puts all this added pressure on me where I'm like, sam the novelist you know
1: yeah it's part of who i am yeah if there's a story then there's a very clear definition of what you have to live up to totally right. yeah. and you create a, your own pressure cooker so to say yeah all right so be. oh right right that you was a like total dying. but we still want to hear the story <laughs> <laughs> yeah because there's a part of me i was like what well, and how did we get to this place <laughs> uh yeah so uh went to india 13 came back was pretty much like not interested in yoga hung out kind of with the same crew, a little bit different group of friends, um, and ended up, got arrested for a couple of different things, one of which at 17 was armed robbery. Um, and it was uh, the, one of the most s- sad, not sad as in like a heart-wrenching story, but s- like just somebody really trying to be a part of what was going on mm-hmm. around them when they didn't really need to. Making a stupid decision, um, or maybe stupid is not the right word, but super impulsive. Um, I got with two friends at the time, and we robbed a a residential building, like in er- eleven o'clock in the morning, hmm. two blocks from where I lived. Without, I mean, as far as criminology goes, <laughs> this <Yeah>. is <laughs> under the category of not done well. Yeah, and um, it was just impulsive. They called me up. Do you want to do this? I was like, yeah, sure. I had been part of other happenings, let's say, at the time, and um. And it was a you know it was a relatively serious crime. One of them had a gun. Um,
0: did you have Did you have a weapon? I didn't have a. weapon. You were just I with. Don't, it.
1: Yeah, I don't think I had a weapon. I, I might have had a knife. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. Um, and yeah, it was it was a it was an intense moment. Um, I got arrested and ended up getting sentenced to 5 years probation which is the maximum amount of probation you can get and then after that sentence would be jail time right so um i guess the the a little bit behind the scenes story is that after i had gotten arrested i don't know how many times you've been to central bookings or like <laughs> <laughs> downtown 100 center street but right so you get arrested and they take you to the precinct right whatever precinct you've been arrested at and then they take you down to Central Bookings, which is on Center Street. And uh, they put you in a cell where there's maybe, depends on the day, right, but uh, 30 dudes, 35 dudes in a cell. Probably not much bigger than this room, which this room should comfortably hold maybe 10 people. This is about
2: 15 by 15, I would say.
1: (laughs) So a, a room a little bit bigger than this with like 30 guys. And people are there for all kinds of reasons, right? So somebody didn't pay their toll on the train or they got picked up for smoking weed or they stabbed somebody.
2: And they don't separate teenagers from grown men.
1: Well, they only separate if you're 15 or younger. Okay. So I'm just at that cut. And um, for our listeners, I'm not the biggest guy you've ever seen. Um,
0: They can follow you on Instagram. Yeah, I'm aerodynamic, let's say.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And um, I just remember sitting in there and... Thinking like this is, this is not really the place that I wanted to end up. This is not what I wanted to do, and I had, st- I still had the yoga background kind of floating through my mind, and there was just all of a sudden, um, there's this, uh, kind of, I guess you could say it's like a chant song thing that we do at Jiv Mukti, that's a little bit based on the Saint, uh, Saint Francis of Assisi, like that chant, Lord make me an instrument of Thy peace. Mm. Uh, where there is hatred, let me so love. So- something like like make me an instrument of Thy will, whatever Thy may mean. Doesn't have to be um, have any kind of God connotation. It could be a higher self or an abstract sense of universe. And this chant just kept going through my mind, and I was like, "Oh, well, you better think some tough thoughts, buddy. We're gonna be here for a while." Um, my public defender said I was looking at three to six years. Mm-hmm. Um, But this verse just kept coming through, kept coming through, and I realized that um, all the things that I had been seeking, validation, a sense of belonging, uh, a sense of accomplishment, um, recognition from a group of peers or elders, all of that uh, that I was trying to get in this world uh, of hanging out and taking it by putting other people down I had access to the whole time through yoga practice. And I decided in that moment that no matter what the outcome was, that I was going to dedicate my energy to yoga uh, exploration, whatever that may be. Um, So luckily, I didn't have to serve jail time other than what I had already gone through the system for. I wish I could also say that it ended there. I have been arrested a few more times after that um, for simple things like smoking weed outside and, and things like that. And, um, but since that day, i just dedicated my time to yoga. And I was also sentenced to this program called Andrew Glover Youth Program, which is a probation center, which I later mentored at, teaching mathematics, like tutoring, and then went back and taught some yoga programs there.
2: Um, Um, I have so many questions. One, one thing that, um, was just going through my mind as you were telling, telling the story was, um, just that the little I know about yoga, there are some similarities between, um, different yoga practices and mindfulness practices. And, um, and there are, there's an ethical, uh, underpinning to both, which is non-harming. And, um... And in in Buddhism, um there's there's this kind of uh, philosophy of uh sort of remorse being a good thing and mm. guilt guilt not being such a good thing.
1: Right. Healthy regret.
2: Yeah. And um I but but also like uh you know, I imagine you've spent thousands, hundreds if not thousands of hours of you know, doing poses in silence, sitting in silence, having tons of time to reflect and you practice um the ethical framework of non-harming i know that you're a vegan and you practice non-harming in other ways um can you have you struggled with guilt or remorse and and, and um what's that been like what's that process been like and how has how has the practice how has yoga helped you get, yeah, get, do, you, get do you know
1: this guy richard rohr the he's r o h r he's a r O H R. H.R. Yeah. Yeah. Is he a monk? Yeah. He's a yes. Franciscan monk. Yeah. yeah. He has a place somewhere in New Mexico. I
0: or think something. I, yeah. I, I think I've heard the on being interview. With him. Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: yeah I, I think on that interview, he says something about like he prays for one humbling experience every day. And that was so cool to me because a humbling experience is for me when you when you thought you knew something and it turns out you didn't. Mm and i think the extreme of that is an action which you would regret later and or you have some remorse for and i definitely have quite a few of those that come to visit me in the wee hours of night or right when i think meditation is getting good <laughs> um, and I, I they definitely come one of the things that i try to remember is that's something that my one of my teachers and also my aunt sharon is that in any given moment we're really trying to do, we, we're doing the best that we can and in retrospect of course there's always like well I could have done better maybe but maybe not because in that moment you're working with the consciousness you had yeah and if you also recognize that the people are making that who are you see as making mistakes around you are doing the best that they can in that moment then there's a certain amount of like uh oh, you know um I I could have done better in the sense that now that I know I can do better, and uh, I, I I try to let that guide me a little bit more than you're such a fool. Right, <laughs> I find it. Uh, I've I've heard that too. I mean, um, this is it's
2: very Eastern advice. That mm-hmm. idea that that or or it's a, just an Eastern mentality the idea that people are doing the best that they can because the Western mentality is always like no you're not yeah 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 right. you're lazy what are you talking about that's like, usually the common response like yeah, yeah. I'm
1: like somebody's like yeah. you know this person just got me mad and I'm like all right well you know they're doing the best and I'm like no they were not yeah exactly, exactly <laughs>
2: and and so I was super resistant the first time I heard yeah. one of my meditation teachers say you know everyone's just doing the best that they can and the more I reflected on it because especially the people that really pissed me off I'm like no yeah. they are not doing right. the best but then the more I thought about it, I'm like, well, the, the people who really pissed me off, a lot of them are struggling with stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when you really boil it down to the moment, it's like, yeah, in that moment they can't find the wisdom or compassion in that moment because they're suffering, they're struggling, you know? know? And, um, and just like, I have to continually remind myself of it because it's so hard to reach that place of like, they're doing the best they can, but it's true. I think it's totally true.
1: Are you, do you ever listen to Alan Watts talks or anything like this? I've seen the, um,
2: that, that viral video of the, where they illustrated one of his talks oh is this yeah.
1: when Trey Parker um, the, the South Park creator so, yeah, yeah. yeah one of their college projects but he has this um, this great line that has always stuck with me um, that I use in class sometimes he says looking back on life one recognizes all too much foolishness but now that I have grown and evolved how am I to know that I am not still a fool mm-hmm. all right so if I look back I have that regretful like that moment where I like cringe with whatever I remember, But who knows, maybe in 10 years, I'm like, oh, remember that yoga phase? That was like, that was wild, man. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I think I'm grown now, but I have a long way to go.
2: Um, When you teach, um, I know that you you also teach um, uh, young adults who have been caught up in the criminal justice system yoga, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, Is there is there open mindedness about it resistance w- w- what's that what's that like how do you and how do you get through yeah. especially like there's so much stuff that i think people not familiar with eastern practices consider woo woo yeah so like how do you translate it to people who aren't familiar
1: um i don't know i i think that one of the one of the challenges is that there's always a little bit of both there's a little bit of interest in it because it is different and people are interested in trying something new oftentimes, but then there's this sense of having a storyline. I'm a tough guy or I'm a tough girl. And this is a little bit expressing too much vulnerability. Soft. Yes, it's soft. Um, Can we we just talk for a moment about why yoga is soft? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, So I don't know of many other things. Where a bunch of people who don't know each other dress up in stretchy clothes and bend over in front of one another. Right, right, like right, that right. just doesn't happen. And that's not, that's not, all right, uh, posturing is a big part of every culture, yeah. right? How you present yourself to others. And how you present yourself to others will dictate how they treat you for the most part. Whether it's right or wrong, you know, leave that for the experts who comment on YouTube videos to decide. <laughs> uh, but, the way that I dress and the way that I carry myself will often dictate how people treat me. And so if I walk around with a hypervigilance of that, which is often happening in these communities, where there is constant projection of strength so that nobody messes with you, and then somebody gives you a physical instruction that you might not understand um, cognitively, but there's something that just below that is telling you, uh-oh, that's like that. You're asking for trouble if you take that pose. Um, you're asking for trouble if you're with a group of people, and you know this person is in here for fighting. This person is in here for hurting somebody else, and now you're gonna, you know, take child's pose. <laughs> like, nah, that's soft. Right. <laughs> that's soft, um, and because it's only soft in relationship to wanting to be hard. Right, so it's. Not soft compared to I don't know what's that thing where they give you a massage in the water, you know what I'm talking about? Where they just oh. drag you through the water <laughs> you a water, it's like shiatsu in the water. Okay. Um, so compared to that, this is not soft. But what's so <laughs> no. funny to
2: me is that like like I do I do CrossFit mm-hmm. now. You know what CrossFit is? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Super ridiculously painful, difficult workout. Yeah. And I've done very a bunch hard. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> ex- And and I've done a bunch of different things. But I, I I've taken like two yoga classes and I'm yeah. like, this is way too hard. I can't <laughs> yeah, do this. Yeah, it's yeah, too yeah. painful. Well, and it's funny that because to me, I almost associate yoga with being too difficult. Like, I, mean, uh, too I was painful. thinking about <laughs> that and I guess
0: I was because th- I, I would like to have a yoga practice, but it is also really hard for me. And I think that's that's me been too. a barrier. I, I
2: really want to do it. And and it's funny, especially for me, because I, I, I have the patience to sit on a cushion for 45 minutes almost right. every morning. It's mm-hmm. like why can't I get over this barrier to yoga? And we've it talked about this a little. We wonder I think if we it's might like have to do a yoga class <laughs> together. <laughs> yeah. We we'll, we'll yeah. to do a yoga class. But on one the
0: of the things course. I was I was thinking about is like it's much easier for me physically mm-hmm. to tense my body. Yeah. You know, like I don't and like weightlifting is sort of like that and mm-hmm. that feels sort of comfortable. And I do think that yoga is actually asking you to soften your body or maybe, I mean, you would be able to speak to it more, but like doing something that's like to both stretch and then like relax at the same time. Yeah. That's what's uncomfortable about it for me. Mm, um, letting go. Letting go.
1: And and so. What do you think about that as the as the therapist here,
0: Avi? I know. We could go. go pretty deep <laughs> with that. Um but yeah, like that to me, I, I sort it of it is interesting I, though.
2: Like with, with lifting weights, it's all about holding on. Yeah,
0: you know, yeah, exactly <laughs> and uh, controlling. Yeah. yeah. Do you, am I onto to something? Like, do you think that Definitely. is part of why men don't like they don't want to let go? May,
1: may, maybe, maybe, um, maybe. It could just be me, and that's yeah. fine too. Well, here's the thing I, I don't believe that all yoga is created equal in okay. the sense that they're not the same, not that one is necessarily better than the other, but they don't. I remember, um, I teach in LA sometimes and um, there's this place in Venice that's, I think it's just called Yoga for Men or or it's like, that's their subheading. I don't know what the actual name of the place is, but it's like Yoga for Real Men, no Sanskrit, no chanting, just yoga. Yeah. Which is interesting because yoga (laughs) is No namaste. Yeah, no namaste. (laughs) But yoga is a Sanskrit word, which the whole thing is a little bit uh, (laughs) of an oxymoron. But um, I think there is... There are practices that are a little bit more, um, like in yoga, we would say maybe rajasic or outwardly moving in a, in a, that creates heat, uh-huh. right? Like so, you'd move and you're challenging yourself, and there's a a certain sense of accomplishment, right? You get one asana, then you get the next one, and then you get the next one, and then you're doing handstand and you're strong, right? And it's a beautiful practice, um, and I would relate that a little bit to what's often called ashtanga yoga. Um, and then there are things that are maybe a little bit more yin and a little bit more slow. I I don't know that there is, um, I think a full practice should l- incorporate a little bit of everything. There should be effort. There should be relaxation. There's only so many hours in a day, right? So what are you going to do? Um, but all of the, the physical movements are meant to guide us to a more subtle understanding of what's happening in our body. And some people will bring that into like a realm of energetics. But if I'm more aware of how my physical movement affects my emotions and my ability to communicate with people, then I'm probably going to be more aware of how my actions affect people. And I'm probably going to be more aware of the internal dialogue that is constantly going on. Um, So I, I. I feel like we're dancing around the question a little bit. Why don't we just say how come there's not men in yoga very much? (laughs) Sure. Like, if I teach a yoga class in general, like, if let's just say if there's a hundred people there, it's not going to be many dudes. It's going to be maybe ten.
2: This is a funny thing. Like, you would think... Just like dudes would do yoga because there's to so be many women. women around. Like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it really I, well,
2: must be intimidating. If and and a lot of like w- beautiful women too. So it really yeah. must be intimidating to men if they're still not doing it, right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I think there's definitely there's definitely a, a stigma that it is um, that it's not masculine. That there's something about it that's not masculine but there's even more than that there's something about it that's emasculating
0: right it's feminine it's feminine yeah.
1: and feminizing uh-huh. that somehow men are not okay with that um, but i don't know i mean we could go into what are the what are the cultural um impositions that men have to go through that make them feel again the sense of hypervigilance to like control their masculinity i think there's even this movement with um What's this guy's name? Jordan Peterson, who's right. like yeah. trying to reclaim masculinity Yeah, yeah, we've talked for men. yeah we talked about him. We know all that guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how much I how, how I feel about that. We're not feeling him very much. Yeah. yeah. Well, can I, I, I can
0: I flip it a different way? I guess, yeah. uh, sort of going full circle, mm. and, and we probably there's so much I want to talk to you about, but we should probably get to the advice soon. But um, so you've had like a lifelong experience with this, right? And sort of introduced to it as a kind of gender experiment. Mm. And I wonder. Let's say, let's say yoga is a little feminizing in some way, or, or brings you connects you to a, something that we might name as a, a feminine side of yourself. Mm-hmm. What's that been like for you? Do you think that's true? And and maybe that's a nice thing. Yeah.
1: yeah, I would say I I would flip it a little bit differently. Excuse me. And I would say that um, there are certain aspects that are a little bit more equated with feminine energy. Mm-hmm creativity in in the overall sense of like even creating life even though men take part in that there is this feeling like the seat of creation is feminine and I think the dualistic approach to this idea of creation that there is masculine and feminine and that we're trying to bring the two together is a little bit of an immature way to see the whole thing that there's a quite a large spectrum and that if I think about why I don't see a lot of men in yoga is because they're not in touch often with things that seem what we might consider feminine, but actually are an innate part of just being alive, of, of the human experience, one of which is caring, one of, of, for ourselves and for others, of having... Um, I mean, we, we see it in fatherhood, we see it in sometimes what we might consider the blue-collar worker whose main job it is to create something, but it doesn't get turned in that way. It's called construction. It's not called building a home for people you'll never meet. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, if we can kind of flip it and say, what is our relationship to the earth? Now, if you want to call Mother Earth, fine. But I don't think that's necessary. And so when I look at what my practice is, it's how do I refine my relationship to the earth, which is all things manifest which is a huge job <laughs> and you know, a lifetime, if you believe in multiple lifetimes, multiple lifetimes, how am I refining my relationship to the earth? And that happens in my diet. That happens working with people who I don't get along with or I don't agree with, so I'm not living in an echo chamber. That happens with, um, you know, I, I remember I would go back at when I first started teaching and i go to the street where I grew up. And some of my friends would be like, hey, look, it's Mr. Stretch Your Nuts. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and still, they're like, oh, you still doing that yoga shit, bro? Like, yeah, you know, sometimes. And um, But some of them come to class and uh-huh. some of them enjoy it. And some of them have looked at what does it mean to be a vegetarian? And some of them have looked at what does it mean to not be so harshly critical of themselves and not break things so much into this is obviously masculine and this is obviously feminine. And um, that's what I would say to when I, when I speak to guys. It's a little bit like I'm on a plane and somebody says, what do you do? Everybody wants to know what you do. And I say yoga. And usually the response is, oh, you know, I'm not that flexible. It's a little bit like, uh, you know, I, I want to come to class but I'm not flexible. It's a little bit like saying, I want to go to the gym but I don't have muscles. Mm-hmm. Like, but that, that's why you go to the gym. That's why you come. <clears throat> and I think people just being invited into uh, an atmosphere where they know that it's not only feminine, not only masculine, opens up the conversation a bit. So
2: I want to, before we move on, I just want to ask you specifically about veganism. So Mm -hmm. I... um, uh, you would not consider me a vegetarian. I actually don't go around <laughs> bragging that I'm a vegetarian because no. I, I still do eat eggs. I don't feel good about it. I know that it's hypocritical, and I and, and I yeah. and ate, I do all the stuff that fake vegetarians do, right? Kick um, children, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just <laughs> the regular things. <laughs> um, but, uh, but. Like one of the things that, that I've talked about um, before on the, on the podcast is like when I started, when I stopped eating uh, mammals, let's say, or, <laughs> right, or right. animals that aren't fish <laughs> or eggs, right. um, like it, w- it was hard for me because so much of my friendship with, um, with other dudes revolved around like having a barbecue or whatever. Right. So I wonder, like, um, and you spend so much time, you know, again, traveling the world. You're teaching classes that are mostly women. A lot of the other yoga instructors are, are women. You spend so much time in this feminine environment, but um, I imagine it's not like you've just like said sayonara to all of your friends that you grew yeah. up with. You still probably have connections to them. Yeah. W- what is it? Um, and, and like you said, uh, some of them are are open to and interested in yoga and come to the classes and everything. But like just with veganism, for example, um, like is it? was it a struggle for you or is it still a struggle for you just to not be able to break bread in the way that you used to and like not be able to like go get the chicken that you liked at the old place right, with your right. friends? Like, and does that, it, because that just feels like in a microcosm, one of these things where like, um, for a little while, like I, I felt insecure, like I was less of a man almost. Mm-hmm. Cause like I wasn't mm-hmm. eating the meat with my bros, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So did you struggle with that?
1: Yeah. I, I'm going to answer two questions cause I kind of left Alone, one of the questions you asked about introducing yoga practices to this group of people in probation centers, right, right, right. And I kind of I lost that that thread a little bit. Um, but w- we did a six week program or an eight week program at this Andrew Glover Youth Program, and uh, I was teaching yoga. And we ended the last day where I cooked a vegetarian meal for everybody, and I said to the guys, "Why don't we all go out together and get some buy the groceries and we cook it together." I, so I went with two of the young guys, and we're in this grocery store, and one of the guys is like, "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> and I was like, "That's broccoli." <laughs> and he was like, "What?" I was like, "Nah, nah, 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 nah." I don't, because I didn't tell them that it was gonna be a vegan meal. He was like, "Nah, nah, nah." I don't eat. I don't eat. I only eat meat. And I was like, "You don't eat rice?" He goes, "Yeah, well, I eat rice, but I don't eat like that's it. I don't eat vegetables." And I was like, "Well, do you ever have, like?" And I kept asking him, "Well, do you ever eat tomatoes?" And he's like. Yeah, I guess I eat tomatoes sometimes. Or do you ever eat this? Do you ever eat that? And I think that sometimes the idea of a vegetarian diet or practicing yoga means you're withdrawing something, right? Like you're taking away, in this case, the masculinity, or you're taking away the meat, or you're taking away the associations, as opposed to what you're adding. And a lot of times you you come across self-righteous angry vegans who are just the worst i mean maybe the only thing worse than a self-righteous angry vegan is a self-righteous angry vegan yoga teacher (laughs) when they're like in your family you gotta practice at 4 a.m um and eat prunes i don't know it's it's a little bit harsh and i never once met my friends Was like you should do this or that i just said hey i'm going to this really cool restaurant do you want to come and then they're like, oh, they don't have any meat on the menu. It's like, oh, well, why don't you just try getting something else? And there's a little bit of this um, up and down now that to- a lot of time has passed. I gave myself as a when I graduated high school, um, I, just before I graduated high school, this this guy transferred into my school, and even though I had known about vegetarian veganism, I was like, that's not for me. He was a graffiti writer. He was super smart. I really respected him, and it turned out he was vegan. I was like, oh, it's not just for old hippies who, you know, live at the co-op. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go, I'm going to try this out. And um, so I did introduce it to other people through just trying to be a super cool person, like easygoing, not judgmental. But when I'm in a yoga class, it's a different story because people have come to ask me for my opinion on different ways of being and in that setting I'm a little bit there's a little bit less ambiguity there and especially if I respect somebody's intelligence then I definitely challenge the way that they're living because the point of being aware of how your big toe moves or the this idea that you brought up Avi of um, contraction versus letting go that's great when things are easy but when things are not convenient, that's when integrity comes into play. If you only stuck by your un, what you thought was important when it was easy, then that has nothing to do with more belief, really, or integrity. That's convenience. And um, I think when I approach it from that point, people have a tremendous amount of respect because I'm not trying to impose my will. I'm trying to create a dialogue that has some form of intelligent discussion about it, not that vegan is right and meat eating is wrong, but what are we doing? What are we doing together? How are our actions affecting each other? And are you being somewhat lazy with your decisions? And can you uh, at least acknowledge that? I have a lot more respect for saying, you know, you know, I know the facts, the figures, I've seen all the videos and I'm still kind of making these decisions a little bit more so than somebody who's like, you know, don't ruin my meal. Because there's that feeling like if I only knew the truth, I might have to change the things that make me comfortable.
0: And I'd rather I'd rather feel uncomfortable and change. Yeah. Hey, man, I'm 25 years old. And after a choppy start to adulthood, I finally found my footing. But the ride was rough. Halfway through college, my parents divorced. Part of the cause of the divorce was my dad's complete mismanagement of his finances and the major arguing that ensued between my parents. It also turned out that he couldn't afford to pay my tuition at a private college. I ended up leaving and slowly worked my way up in a startup and despite having minimal technical skills, now have a good paying job and live completely independently from my parents. My mom and my younger brother have not fared as well. Before my parents' divorce, we were financially very well off. Uh, My mom worked, but more as a hobby than a career. Now she's scraping by on much less than she's used to. It's isolating herself and seems very depressed. My brother, who's two years younger than me, has not handled the divorce very well, or the change in our family's fortunes. He's still in college, despite going for five years, and is essentially a C+ student with a with a major in comparative literature at a lower tier liberal arts college. Harsh. My dad, <laughs> my dad has since righted his ship; is back to making more money, and despite paying for five years of my brother's college, has never once offered to send me back to school or help in any way. I'm really angry. I'm angry at my dad for screwing up our family and for not helping me. I'm angry at my brother for being a selfish asshole. And I'm angry at my mom for being a doormat and wasting the rest of her life. I also feel loyal to everyone. I see them all the time. I'm often talking with my brother and offering him support. I just want everyone to be okay, but they're not. And I keep carrying the bag, listening to my mom and brother, eating shit while out to dinner with my dad and his new girlfriend. I don't know what to do, but I know that my intense anger is super distracting. I feel sick a lot. I'm always tired. Starting to feel like my work is suffering. Help, signed. Angry in Astoria.
1: Angry in Astoria. Yeah,
0: that sounds like actually a cool punk
1: band. <laughs> <laughs> Angry in Astoria. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think about it? Are these? Is this kind of like a common question? Or in this, is terms most,
2: uh, this is the most. This is the most directly about anger, I think, of any mm-hmm. of the. And yeah. A lot of the questions seem to have kind of a theme, but anger. Anger seems to be a big part of this guy's
0: it is I mean it's a and usually I feel like we've maybe gotten questions before about people expressing their anger or not expressing it, but this is different. It's a different relationship with anger um
2: he seems i mean he seems to kind of the subtext of his question just seems to be like um he doesn't he he doesn't want to feel angry all the time, right. But can't. I mean, it's out funny because him. of course he spent like nine tenths of the letter just talking about how much yeah. his how relatives suck yeah. and how angry he is at them. But then he's saying at the end he doesn't want to be
0: angry. Well, sort of going yeah. off of that, and this is a bit of a a left field start to this. And even, uh, I'm curious to talk about this. I don't want to get too meta, but I almost wanted to tell this guy that I felt very proud of him. Mm, yeah, you know and then was like that's a weird thing to say <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like and actually it's sort of uh it's kind of weird to tell anyone you're proud of them it or that's how it felt to me but you know th- like except
2: for your, like your your son or something yes my child <laughs> yeah. but
0: um uh actually recently i was ta- a friend of mine is doing really well and i i te- i texted him I'm proud of you, and then I deleted it and was like, "I'm really happy for you," because <laughs> yeah. I like it felt a little like too much. But mm-hmm. I, when did I, it feel yeah.
1: too much? Because it like it, from your point of view, did it feel like almost condescending, or was yeah, it like too I, intimate?
0: It, it's a little bit of both. A little okay. bit of both. Um, definitely, I couldn't figure out a way to convey it that did not sound condescending, right? Um, but it's like like I've known this guy, you know, for uh, almost twenty years. And to see where he's at, mm-hmm. and to know what he's going through, I'm not sure there's any other feeling but pride. Like, yeah. it made me feel so happy. In like, to I watch have to say, own. this
1: is definitely one of the things that I think, if I'm gonna gender stereotype, yeah. that I think is lacking in my experience with men, my personal experience with yeah. men, and what I see I- happening around me, is the inability. To honestly acknowledge The achievements of others mm. Without it being competitive mm-hmm. I think that is really I know it's super hard for me yeah. Even with people who are close to me To say like You know what The thing that I admire about you the most Or the thing that I think is great about you Or this is what I'm so proud to see you doing And achieving mm-hmm. That doesn't end with like You know A slap on the back And be like Dude you're fucking crushing it bro Yeah Like, <laughs> it, like it's not that Right It's something else that is a very clear and specific acknowledgement of what that person's strengths are yeah that is so severely lacking in so much of the communication that I've experienced. Yeah
2: I, and this is a, a vast oversimplification but I have, I have a son a very young son uh, and a very an even younger daughter mm. and, um, and and I've been talking with my wife about when they're old enough to enroll them in activities. Mm. I want to consciously try to get my daughter into some sports. Mm. And get my son into creative stuff, artistic stuff right. and um and and I guess like it just seems like the way I actually had an artistic um family, so I was enrolled in art stuff, but all of my friends are doing sports, and that's mostly what I wanted to do, and you know, right. most boys grow up, um their main activities are sports where the goal is to like competitively crush somebody, yeah, yeah, and i th- and again, this is a total oversimplification, but like um, when when girls are enrolled in dance classes, it's not to say that dance doesn't have its competitiveness mm, too, mm. but the point of dance is to be expressive. It's mm. not to beat somebody's ass. You know yeah, what I yeah. mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I do. But think I know it's some ingrained- pretty hardcore yeah, female course. dancers out beat all of them. <laughs> oh yeah, ass, of, course, of, sure. course, <laughs> of
1: course. But anyway, I <laughs> yeah, think I, I think it's saying. so
2: you know it, beyond just sports. It just it, obviously it is so ingrained yeah. in boys and men to um to just constantly have the competitive um <clears throat> you know vantage point on the world yeah, it's and, almost like
1: death before intimacy i and just really acknowledging somebody's strengths i think i think and and yeah. what you said was like just that you want to say like look you in this narrative that you've created you're the one who made it out i'm proud of you for making it out like,
0: yeah i think like just thinking about the, the, what this guy has had to what you've had to contend with right I can imagine. I mean, I'm thinking about your younger brother who probably felt unprepared to have like his life changed. Like you, you think you have one trajectory for yourself, and it turns out that's not what it's going to be. Yeah, and you uh, figured it out, right? I mean, I mean, well, yeah. yes
1: and no, because what I also read in that, or you know, yeah, what I yeah. hear, what I hear in that is that he's also. he he makes a point, he doesn't just say that I can't afford college, he says a private school. Yeah, There's a certain level of expectation there. There's also a certain level of expectation that he puts on his brother as if his degree in comparative literature is less than whatever else he could have been doing. And there's an incredible amount of... um judgment yes. on what he thinks success looks like mm-hmm. and maybe that's coming from his dad who just didn't say i'm proud of you mm. or like you're doing a good job i know this is hard for you yeah um he even says at the end you know things are better my dad is making money but when i sit down um i have to take a lot of shit from him yeah. which is an interesting thing right my dad is doing better financially right. but emotionally is still in a deficit
0: yeah i'm appreciating yeah. like the the attention you're giving to what he's talking yeah, about—the sources of his unhappiness here—yeah,
1: and it also seems like he thinks it's his job to fix people, which is super dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and he's responsible. In, in yoga, it would be called chitta prasadhanam. You are responsible for your own blessed state of mind. Nobody else is responsible for his state of mind. Mm-hmm. His anger, for a large part, comes from this victim mentality. Of like, look at what everybody did to me, but somehow I made it through, and they're still stuck back there. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to help them, but they don't yeah. listen to me. By
2: the way, I just had to say also, um, I'm just going to get one of my biases, yeah, off my chest. Like, I, um, I didn't grow fruit. up, I didn't grow up poor by any means, but like, I definitely didn't grow up rich. And the first rich people I knew were in college. Mm. Um, like the richest kid I knew growing up, like his dad was a professor or something like that, right. and. Um, and I just have also my parents are kind of lefties. So like, I just kind of have just ingrained in me, like not a lot of sympathy for um, this kind of, not a lot of instinctual sympathy for this kind of problem of like yeah. a really rich person loses their money. And it's like, mm-hmm. so try. And I just want to get over that. Cause like I, I getting back to what one uh, thing that we were talking about earlier, which is that people are doing the best that that they can. Like yeah. it is actually really hard <laughs> to grow up rich and then lose your money you know what i mean and it's it and and you know look this guy um and it's also i think it's hard to grow up rich and in a household that values um money and not end up valuing money as the indicator of success and happiness yourself and i I just want to be conscious of not judging this guy Mm because i have to say when when the question was first read i went to that judgmental place of being like Oh, you know, totally. rich kid problem kind of thing. That's yeah. funny.
0: I Yeah, I don't have that judgment because I just think of it as like, you know, I think of it as as if you, you saw your life going one way and yeah. you maybe had a plan and now you have no plan. And what that feels like to not, um, to have to make up a new plan when yeah. your whole identity was built around something.
1: Yeah, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning.
0: Yeah, it's a very, I mean, that's just a very destabilizing feeling. And to be you know, uh, I probably around 20 or something when that started to happen. Yeah. Uh, that is a tough experience yeah. to go through.
1: You know, I, I would, maybe it's nice to have a little bit of a, a yoga analogy. And one of the things that I use in class is there are a lot of standing poses or asanas. And again, we're talking about asana as a way of refining relationship to the earth, like literally how you're standing on it. And if you have a balancing pose or balancing asana, the tendency is that when you find yourself losing balance that you want to grip and hold on that causes rigidity and rigidity doesn't really help anyone and the same thing happens in life when we feel this lack of stability the tendency is to clutch and hold on but that doesn't actually help and it doesn't it's creating the anger in this person mm instead of being able to say all right you know i'm losing my balance a little bit where is the balance does the balance lie in holding on and be like i'm going to make my body do the thing that i want it to do and control it or am i going to say you know what i'm losing my balance let's go and find i have the left foot let's try the left foot and how does this feel uh, i i just feel this this desire to control leads to rigidity it's a you know it's the reed and the oak story right the the wind blows the reed bends
0: the oak breaks you're making me uh, even more curious about yoga now. You're good. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fasletizer.
2: It uh, is true, though, that I think I think th- like the important, the really important part of this um, question that Jules hit on is that um, he he has rebounded. He has a good job. He's doing okay and instead of being able to feel okay about himself mm-hmm. he's just mad at other people you know and I, and i feel like um you know like some of the kids that you grew up with i imagine aren't necessarily doing okay a lot of the kids i grew up with aren't doing okay mm-hmm. and um and it's funny because i i mean i actually relate to this a little bit sometimes i get mad at the ones who aren't doing okay but then when i stop to think about it really i think what i'm doing Is just having guilt of the fact that I succeeded and Mm. I made it out of a place that like other people didn't, and I feel guilty in some way that I succeeded. I wonder if like really he just feels kind of guilty. Yeah, Yeah. he feels kind of guilty that his brother and mom aren't doing that well. Maybe I don't know. Maybe. And 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 it's easier to feel angry than guilt.
1: Angry in a story, if that's your, if that's (laughs) your, if that's what's going on with you, um, it's really challenging to pull. People out of the well. If you're in the well, you know what I'm saying you're. If you're unhappy, trying to help people come out of their depression is super challenging because you're. He's approaching them with anger. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that is not a great basis for communication. Um, but if you can recognize anger as a desire for transformation, right? Like that's what that is. His anger is a devi- is a devi- desire for change, and what is a healthy recipe for change is maybe where we started out where you said like maybe not angry in a story needs to be told that we're proud of him. Maybe his mom needs somebody to say, you know what? Being a mom is super hard being a divorced at this stage in your life Mm. and having to, do everything like maybe if she could have that kind of support or maybe if his brother could feel some kind of validation from his older sibling mm-hmm. maybe that could change yeah, he's, that he's could change everything yeah. instead of being like every time they meet his job is to save his brother from this cycle of comparative literature that's only <laughs> right like lead you gotta to, to grow up or yeah well, come on that. man what are you gonna do Write for a write for a blog yeah start a blog. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's funny we we um uh our guest last week uh is the author of this book uh, this new book called Range and um i don't know when this is going to air but our g- couple g- weeks from now listeners can look it up in the archives uh Dave Epstein um uh is the author of Range and his book is all about how actually people who have a bunch of different experiences rather than just like single mindedly focusing on one thing or majoring in the you know, thing that's most likely to help your career end up flourishing a lot in life because they have this diverse range of tools that right. they can that they can um, go back to, and um, I don't know. Don't hate is, on comparative literature. Well, <laughs> yeah. that that's what I'm getting at because yeah. I think a lot of people, uh, this guy is almost like acting like he is his brother's parent in a way. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think a lot of parents, um, like, really are freaked out about whether or not their kid is going to fuck up their entire life. People like parents, parents, like if a kid doesn't quickly get like a dope job, like, or go to law school and like, or medical school and have like a very set lucrative career, parents get freaked out. And in this case, the sibling is getting freaked out. And it's like, there's this almost lack of trust that people will be able to find their own way. And that, that's why I really like what you said earlier, just about like, um, I have to continually remind myself of this. Like you can't, you cannot um, like bend other people or shape other people into the yeah. way that you want them to be. That it d- yeah. doesn't work like that. And, and you have to have a little trust force. in people. Definitely, definitely not, not with
0: trust. force. Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot, like a lot. the more I sit with this question, the more I'm like, wow, there's, there's a lot here. Mm. And, um, and so I, I do, I just sort of like want to extend some compassion to the complexity of this situation. And, and it, cause it feels actually very naughty. Break it, down, break it down. Break we'll like, okay. it down. Because
2: then it was a long
1: question. It, it was, was a long, a long question. question. It was a lot to yeah. Yeah. Well, so okay. I almost Here's
0: asked you to if you could you read that again. I was like, no, that's
1: too long. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Give us the. Cliff we can, notes. yeah. Let's
0: well let's let's <laughs> sort of like review the the facts of of it. Here's a guy whose family broke up. Right, his parents divorced while he was in college. Um, Which
1: probably how much of the population
0: can relate to that? Fifty percent. Right. Yeah.
2: Over fifty. I think yeah. fifty-one.
1: Is that right? Yeah.
0: But. <laughs> <laughs> um and And they didn't just break up because the the parents grew estranged they grew estranged because of another traumatic thing in their family, which is they lost their financial solvency
1: which probably a lot of people can also
0: relate to definitely mm-hmm. definitely um and so then he responds by basically growing up really quickly mm. quicker than he expected to right um he goes and gets a job and he does he like that is the thing that I feel proud of, about him for like because I know me at 20, I'm not sure what I would have done, but that he got a job and managed to do well enough that he's, he's living on his own right. um, is so admirable. But then the rest of his family doesn't really respond so well. His mom sort of retreats into herself and his brother is maybe doing something similarly, like he's mm-hmm. um, just kind of like floundering at school, moving along, right? Five years in college, he hasn't graduated yet. C plus average is not he's not really taking school very seriously. His dad meanwhile moves on with his life, gets a new girlfriend, starts making money again. Um and and I would just I'm just thinking about like for example with his brother. I'm thinking about what it's like his brother is struggling and gets help, he's not struggling and gets no help. Um mm. doesn't get reco- like he doesn't get recognized for doing well, but the person who's struggling gets recognized. Like that never feels good, yeah. you know? Um and your mother, who's supposed to be like someone who looks after you, right? And here he's at this sort of like tender age when you're you're starting to really feel like an adult. Suddenly he's worried about her. He mm-hmm. has to. He feels like he needs to look after her. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just that's the. I think there's even more we could keep going into, but that's a lot to be sitting with as a 25 Definitely. year old. Yeah. So I understand. I would. I even understand just feeling pissed. That that's what's on your plate right now. You didn't you didn't ask for that, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's it seems like an understandable reaction to be like, I don't want this to be happening. Yeah. And and that makes me think, a but little thi- bit of grief. Yeah. You know? the,
1: but the key, I think, the key is that he's already understood. He ends the letter with saying something like, um, "I recognize that I am constantly filled with anger and that all my interactions are colored by it." Yeah. He recognizes that his emotional state is not a benefit right. he to can't, anybody. He doesn't know
0: how to get to the other side. He just sees but he that, sees it, that yeah. it's there.
1: And I think that's probably the, the, the place that I would like to communicate to. Right. So we can all relate to having financial instability. We can all relate to, maybe not all of us, but 51% of us can relate to divorce. Uh, we can relate to having a sibling who we don't agree with their life choices. Mm-hmm. And we can relate to having anger for all of those things. And then recognizing that the anger doesn't necessarily make it better. And then the question, well, how do I make it better when there's still the anger there? Because nobody's, n- nobody sees their anger as a choice. Right? They right. see their anger as imposed by external circumstances. Yeah. And that's Or just
0: like an impulse that you can't
1: help. It's just happening. Right. You know? Yeah. So, I don't know. The- do
2: you think anger is, is a choice? Do you, do you think you have a choice to stop being...
1: I angry. think I think future suffering should be avoided. And I think in the present, like if, when I recognize all the other times that I got angry and how many great decisions came out of anger, <laughs> then I'm like, oh, not that many. Like maybe zero. Yeah. And then I can, at least in the moment when I feel that the anger is there, I don't know that I always have, in the moment, I don't always have the choice to be angry, but I have the choice to act on the anger and I can just say, all right, this is this confrontation is going to a place where anger is going to cause a really bad decision. I need a little bit of time from it. And that is a little bit what he's saying. And And that's kind of where I would take it. Like, take some space. Get your mind in order a little bit. Do something at the risk of sounding cliche. Like, do something for yourself that would allow you f- to feel open enough that the next time you're with these people... You can be receptive to their suffering without you judging where you think they should be mm-hmm. in their life mm-hmm. and just relate to their suffering uh, because compassion is very dynamic. Mm. It c- come with, passius from the past tense of suffering, right? To suffer with also means, one, you have to recognize the suffering of another, but that's not, that's only 50% of the story, right? So if I see somebody who's hurt their leg on the street and I said, I hope you get better, that's not a compassionate act. But if I see somebody who's hurt themselves and I act to reduce their suffering, that is an act of compassion. And that is the relationship that most of us want to have with our families is one of compassion. So if they're suffering, then where do I, what is my role in helping to relieve that suffering? Not changing them. Mm. Right? Yeah, so I think he those are the, he's those helping are, them by changing them. Yeah, and that's a totally different thing. I'm not saying get down in the well and go, oh my gosh, isn't your life terrible? My father divorced you, isn't it? Like, no, like, all right, I see that you're having a hard time. I see that you're suffering. I could be angry, and I do have some anger around that. But, you know, what can we do to help alleviate this suffering? What are the productive actions? And that's one of the things that I ask myself when I'm in communication with somebody who's making me angry, I try to ask what is it that they need in this moment because finding out what somebody else needs and then acting on that usually brings me out of the self-centeredness of which I associate anger with.
2: So I completely am on board with everything you're saying. Mm. And, um, but I just want to try to play devil's advocate for a second and speak up for the, the tough love approach. Mm. And, (laughs) um, because I think a lot of people listening will be like, well, I'm sorry, but you know, like sometimes people just need to hear the truth. Like that mom needs to get her shit together. And like the son needs to give her the, the honest truth. And like the brother needs to get his shit together. And like, right. what's like, if, if it's all compassion and just kindness and softness, like it isn't, isn't he just like giving them a green light to continue their negative behavior, et cetera. And I, I guess what I want to ask you, Jules is, um, as a yoga teacher, I imagine there are, times where you're working with, um, a yogi, a practitioner who is, um, not applying him or herself, not going to the place that you want them to go to. And maybe it's because they're struggling inside and Mm -hmm. just have a lack of energy or are depressed or whatever it is. How do you deal with those moments? Like, like, do you ever have the like, no, 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 I'm not going to lay off here. I'm going to push you to keep that pose and go even further with it. Even though you're in pain, I'm going to yeah. push you, push you. Yeah,
1: like, I, I think my, my short answer to that is yes, I definitely do. And I would also point out that the relationship, mm-hmm. I have been give, given permission to do that. Right, right. And this sibling and son has not been given permission Great by point. anybody to mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the power dynamic is a little bit different. I would also reflect back to something you said before about feeling like you made it out of somewhere, and I have to constantly remind myself that until, let's say, for the sake of a, a yogic perspective, until I'm enlightened, I'm unenlightened. Right. So until I get to that place, yeah. I'm not there, and so I haven't, I haven't really made it. And the, and the 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 steps, although they have added to some creature comforts, they are it's. There's so much further to go for me, and in this case again with, ang- I just love angry in the story. I really, I really like that. Um, I'm reminded of a uh, Krishnamurti. Do you know J Krishnamurti? He has this uh, line that I really enjoy. He says, "It's no sign of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society," and I just have to keep going back. That all of the things that he's upset about are accomplishments within mainstream society that they see as the goal, right? Mm -hmm. Which, if I go to another place, um, like, if say, if I'm in Taiwan, there is multiple generations living under one roof. It is no sign of success to live on your own, necessarily. In fact, you've turned your back on your family if you live on your own, or you've joined Western culture if you you do that. Um, Most places you are responsible for taking care of your parents at a certain time. Yeah, maybe it's a little bit sooner than later, but um, nowhere does any parent sign a contract that says, I will take care of you forever. And I think for the tough love approach, I would agree totally that there is always space for a tough love approach. But in this case, I would say tough love approach would be just cutting that off, cutting the things off that frustrate you if it's really that serious, you don't talk to your mom. You don't talk to your brother. You do the things that you feel like you need to do and get finish getting your life in order.
2: Hmm. Until the anger subsides. By the way, yeah. what, there's been a lot of good anger quotes, and I'll just add yeah. one of my own. One of my favorite writers is Virginia Woolf, and mm-hmm. she said something to the effect of, Nothing beautiful has ever been written when the author was angry. Mm. And um and you know, I was like, well, I what hope, about I'm like, what, what about? about Bukowski? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I was thinking to myself when I heard that, when I first read that, I'm like, Well, what about Baldwin? I mean, mm. so much yeah. of the power of his writing seems to come from anger. And then I thought about it and I'm like, no, if you really read Baldwin, you can tell that the power of his writing comes from love. He about, may be yeah. he may be animated at first by right. injustice and anger, but he has to get to a place mm where he can summon up, you know, something more, more powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so anyway,
0: yeah, I think, I mean, this is all, these are all really helpful perspectives and I'm not sure there's anything, there's no like advice, advice that this guy is going to get. It's more about like, what are you going to do? Well,
2: I think, I think the closest thing to concrete advice that, that Jules offered, um, is really making sure that he, Take some time for, for himself and like you know I, I mean it, it literally yeah. could be something as much as like go I don't know go to India on a yogurt <laughs> go yeah. relax go do something super relaxing and yeah. feel like you know like you're making good money you're, you're doing okay for yourself like take care
1: of yourself for a little while and something physical I would I would recommend do something physical I love physical. that idea go, in,
2: go out in nature maybe get in you know? your body yeah. get in yeah.
1: nature see yeah. something that's yeah. awe inspiring recognize how insignificant all this shit is
2: yeah
0: yeah there there are two, one of the things you said, Jules, you didn't mean it this way, but like, uh you know, like until I'm I'm at my destination, so to speak, I'm still in the first place. And it's like playing the shrink for a moment since I can. Uh, one, I kind of wonder if some of this stuff started before any of this happened. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? That, that this is like sort of the role in your family that you're so drawn to. Like, yeah. I might be curious. It might help you relate to it differently just to sort of be like, why why am i occupying this role right now mm-hmm. um, and seeing seeing it as my job to be the savior like maybe that didn't start yeah that's, maybe that's maybe one thing always been the savior yeah and oh, then yeah. the other is like like when you really think about who he could be angry at mm. um it sort of dissolves like who i mean like the further back you go maybe maybe you could be angry at your dad for like screwing up your family life. But like, obviously that's a complicated mm. situation. I'm not sure it would really hold up. And really you're just angry at life that yeah. life threw this at you. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of getting displaced onto particular people. Like if they get it together, life won't be the way it is, but it is the way it is, you mm-hmm. know? And, and again, like I said a little while ago, to me, there's a little bit of, you might be able to relate to this differently if you grieve, the fact that life is not turning out the way you thought it was a few years ago, Mm. you know, like there's like there's when we mourn something, we accept the loss, you know, Mm, that's feeling the sadness that comes along with it, which allows us to move on. Um, that's an important point.
1: By the way, uh,
2: before we wrap up, I I just want to make a confession, which is that, um, I definitely in my own life have been struggling with anger a lot lately. Uh huh. And actually I've, I've, I've had, I think I've had anger issues. I mean, I I I think almost all of us have anger issues, but I think I've like, um, in the past, maybe anxiety was my bigger issue. I think right now the main thing I'm struggling with is anger. And, um, I, I find it particularly frustrating the fact that I'm doing all this work, all this self care, right? I'm Uh taking care of myself. I used to not take care of myself. I used to eat poorly. I used to drink too much, et cetera. I'm taking care of myself now I'm meditating. I'm doing all this shit that i'm that that is supposed to subside the anger mm. and I'm still angry uh-huh. and um and I wonder Jules like um like you obviously still occasionally get angry because you're a human being, you're like you said you're not enlightened mm. um and yet people so many people look up to you and view you as this kind of like model of a person who's mm-hmm. further along on the path or whatever and um i guess i just wonder like how do you deal with like for other people who are struggling with anger or for you know even when you're still struggling with anger the fact that like oh you're you're doing all this work and it's still not just instantly paying mm-hmm. off like what what the fuck you know
1: yeah I, I i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of not answer your question um or or maybe it's not so much a question as a kind of a back and forth um and I, I don't know, I have a memory for things that I really enjoy. And one of this, I've said a few quotes, but there's one from, you know, Red Fox? The, the comedian? comedian. Yeah. yeah. So he has this old school stand up and he's on stage, right? And, you know, he has that right, voice right. and he's like, and he's going and he's chain smoking on stage. And, and he says, you know, people tell me I should stop smoking. I, I said, why? You're going to die from cancer. He goes, you know what? All y'all motherfuckers going to be die, be sad. When you die from nothing. (laughs) It's like, you know, I got some things. They make me a little bit happier. My things happen to be meditation. For the people that are close to me and I love, I don't want to see them leave sooner, right, than later. So I try to encourage them to be healthy. I don't want them to do things like smoke or eat meat or whatever it might be. Um, But sometimes, you know, we meet people who don't do any of those things, and they seem to live a super happy and healthy life. Yeah. And there's part of me that wants to be like the staunch advocate for healthy living, um, meditation, some of the you know some of the people that I really admire they're always like, "Yes, this will improve your quality of life, and you really can be happy." But when I'm in the world, I see people that seem relatively happier, and they're not doing all of this stuff and I feel like sometimes I'm shooting myself in the foot, right? Like you're not going to get anybody in yoga that way. <laughs> right. Um but that's the truth of the matter and if I, I feel sometimes there's especially for in the meditation world there's a certain sense of aestheticism and a stoic approach to life that is very attractive. Um in yoga that's it's kind of the same thing although it's not as as well defined. So there are aspects that we can relate to in life that are very much in tune with who we already are as people and that allow us to amplify those traits. Sometimes they make us happy and sometimes they amplify the traits that are super destructive. And I'm just trying to find the things that amplify the more positive aspects just as if like we were, again, this is kind of sound cliche, but if we were all different instruments, I'm trying to tune my instrument so that when I meet somebody else, there's a night we can play really nice together instead of both of us are out of tune. I like
0: that. Yeah.
2: Um, So we like to to wrap up the podcast asking uh, our guests for um, a piece of advice that they heard from somebody else or read somewhere Mm -hmm. at some point in their life that they just come back to repeatedly and that you find helpful. So do you have a specific piece of advice?
1: Um. Yeah, I I would say in yoga, it's called satsang. It literally means a gathering of people who are interested in finding out what the truth is. Surround yourself with people who are interested in challenging themselves. This is like community is key. Hmm. Community is key. And um, this is something that, um, uh, that Sharon and David, my aunt and uncle, have really embedded in me is that Be with people who challenge your ideas. Be with, you know, the more argumentative, the better. Like, get your ideas sharp. Get them clear in your mind, what you're trying to say. Don't get caught up in these generalizations that are, I now breathe into your third eye and open your heart. It's like, that's not going to really help me. It sounds nice. Uh, So that's really how... uh, Recognize the people in your life that are important. Keep them. And... um. And one of the things that I often think about to myself is um, there is no cutting the line in a spiritual practice. Hmm. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, if you're going to the top floor, you gotta walk through every floor.
2: That's a wrap for this week. Uh, as always, you can email us your advice questions at heymanpod at gmail.com. Better yes. Eh. That's a wrap for this week. As always, you can email us with your advice questions at heymanpod at gmail.com. Better yet, shoot us a voicemail with your question, 917-426-4326. If you feel like it, you can also Instagram us or tweet us Um, on both of those platforms. We are at heymanpod. And finally, if you're listening to this podcast and you enjoy it, um, please hit the subscribe button. And if you're moved to, give us a review. Uh, Appreciate it. Thanks so much.